0: Show with Dean and Flaming on Edmonton Sports Leader TSN 1260.
1: All right, we can let Eddie Van Halen go all day long, but let's get to it because we've got a really busy final hour of the show today. As uh, in studio portion picks up now, as we're very pleased to be joined by our in studio guests. Uh, to my right is uh, Manny Schmidt. Uh, who is an agent uh, with Link Management International? And across from me is Jerry Johansson, uh, who is uh, the big boss at the Sports Corporation. Uh, gentlemen, thanks for coming in uh, today. Appreciate it. No problem. Great to be here, guys. Well, what we want to know, and uh, I mean, we're going to fill out this entire hour, uh, take questions from our audience as well into the Marks and Home inbox. So if anybody has any questions for agents, And what the the job is all about, that's Mm -hmm. uh, what we're going to explore here for the next hour. Uh, So you can get a hold of us with a text to 101260, or you can tweet at us at TPS underscore Gee or
0: at Duck Millard into the Marks and Home inbox. Imagine yourself in a Marks and Home, experience the difference, nine communities in Edmonton to find them and their beautiful show homes, visit online, MarksonHomes.com. All right, really simply,
1: uh, and uh, Jerry, maybe we'll start with you. How long have you been an agent and how did you get into the business?
2: Well, actually, a long time. Now I think about it, Um, probably twenty years. Okay, and uh, you know, started. I was a player in the Western Hockey League, played college and junior. uh, Then started coaching at a pretty young age um, in New West. I played in New West and uh, moved with the club down to Tri Cities and uh, started coaching. Got into management in my early twenties and uh, was uh, big into recruiting. Uh, At that time, we we went after everybody, and uh, then met up with Rich Winter. And started working with Rich, you know, probably twenty years ago.
3: Manny, how about for you? Not quite uh, the scales on the backside that uh, Jerry brings to the the table, but uh, I've been I started the agency for four and a half, almost five years ago now, on the hockey side. Have worked uh, in the uh, Olympic realm uh, for about six years prior to that, representing uh, Olympic athletes on the endorsement side. So. In the in the hockey side, we're five years in in total with uh, the Olympic side and some of the other ventures we've had on the sports entertainment side. Uh, another six years on top of that. Cool.
0: What was it first? What was it that made you say let's get into involved in, in hockey? And and what made you want to get involved in the agent business in the first place?
3: Well, I've always said first and foremost, I think as Jerry would probably attest as well. It's I mean you got to have a passion for sport. Um, that's the underlying element. And I think the two things that that override that is, one, is a passion for sport and, secondly, is a passion for players and people. And combining those two elements, um, I'd worked a lot with post-career athletes, um, guys who have retired both on the hockey side as well as um, on the Olympic side and the football side. And seeing some of that transition sort of made me enticed me to know, how can we work with athletes on a pre, during, and post career basis, and uh, and that you know led us into working on the hockey side uh, through working with some of those post career guys. Mm-hmm. When we were putting our questions together, Dino and I, I think we were kind of
1: both under the impression that the majority of agents would have a legal background; that everybody would be you know, lawyers to to some degree. And it was one of the questions we uh, asked you before uh, we started the segment. And Jerry, you quickly put us uh, to put that rumor to rest. And uh, in fact, neither one of you are actually lawyers.
2: Yeah, I'd say probably the majority of guys aren't lawyers. You know, it's a great background. It's a great training. If you want to get into this business, mm-hmm. you know, I get young guys asking me all the time, hey, I want to be a sports agent and they're smart kids. And you say, hey, go to school, become an attorney. And then if you still choose to come this direction then good for you. But it's not a prerequisite. We talked about there's not a lot of legal work in our business, actually. Hmm. Uh, our support staff is in that department is the NHLPA. So the NHLPA is fully staffed with attorneys. So whether it's grievances or salary arbitrations or you know, CBA questions or all sorts of different things, um, you know they're sort of our, our backbench, if you will. That's who we turn to for when the situation gets sticky.
0: Uh, let's uh, start with some of the questions that uh, that we have, and okay. uh, I know we have some that uh, have come into the Marks and Home inbox. But uh, uh, Jerry, we'll will stick with you, and 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 Manny, we'll will get your thoughts after. But maybe the most common way of discovering a player uh, or meeting a player is it is it just going to the rink and and watching a lot of hockey, or or what's the most common way that you
2: um you know end up with a client? Sure. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, certainly that is one way to get into the rinks, which we, I watch a lot of hockey as is Manny. I think in our business, we're in the rinks a lot, myself personally, pretty much the last, I'd say 10 years or so, I would say 95% of the clients that I've gotten, I've been introduced by somebody. Right. So we've developed a network and you know, my good friends are in hockey and their coaches and their GMs and their scouts. Uh, our parents are great. Uh, advocates for us mm-hmm. so a lot most of the time it's somebody th- that I'm talking to and says hey Jerry you should meet this family they're nice people and you know the kid's a good player and so that's generally how I would mm-hmm. I would meet new clients.
3: Maddie, Yeah I would totally agree with that I think um, watching players in the rinks and being in the rinks gives you that exposure um, and uh, you know awareness to to the players that are out there But when you're fairly specific to trying to profile the type of players that fit into your agency and that you would want to work with, I think those value relationships come from value relationships. And I think by getting those introductions from people that are within your circle of influence and they say, hey, you know what, we have a family, we have a player, we etc i think you know that's uh, those are where we would find and i would get the majority of our our players as well
0: so it's not like in the the jerry Maguire movies where the agents are hounding the players and following them around and and you know all you know going after that one
3: guy that superstar client Uh, a lot of it is word of mouth yeah absolutely i I would say so i think a lot of it is word of mouth a lot of it is reputation and and building experience uh, just like in any business it's uh, um, you know you, you try to build up a repertoire of of market credibility and, and success um, and solid relationships that then can translate into additional solid relationships
1: Jerry, is there a lot of competition between agencies for players though like oh, yeah. in like we did see in jerry Maguire?
2: yeah it 's a, it's a very competitive it 's one of the fun parts of our business it's uh, <laughs> If you have a competitive uh, side to your, to yourself it 's uh, it's a, a great business to be in I mean players can hire or fire agents for any reason they want. Uh, So, you know, that is sort of keeps you on your toes. I mean, one of the differences in hockey is that the players are so young. Mm. Unlike in Jerry Maguire, like college sports, the big big college sports, these guys are 22 or whatever when they're hiring their agent. You can sort of, the the, the gap between them being a pro and where they are when they're hiring an agent is pretty small. Where the kids we're working with a lot of times are 14 or 15 years old. And, I mean, anybody who's been around hockey knows you never know. I mean, some of my best clients were... You know, Milan Lucic, he was nowhere at 14 or 15. Right. And then, you yeah, know, I, I, and some of these young kids that are very highly touted, it's difficult for them.
1: Is, is 13, 14, 15 the, the normal age for, at least for hockey, is, you know, it's a hockey show, so we'll focus on hockey. But is that kind of the, the, the starting point? Is there a, an age that you've done earlier than that that might be too young? Is there a, you know, well, I you go my, youngest,
2: my youngest client was Johnny Boychuk because I had his uh, older brother David, so I think Johnny was probably 10. <laughs> so I just want out of the house, drop off a stick or something like that. So kind of a joke, but, uh, you know, the, the parents are faced with some decisions at young ages in hockey. Mm-hmm. I mean, at 14 and 15, they're drafted in the Bantam draft. They've got, you know, there's a fork in the road. Do they go to college? Do they go to junior? Right. And so there's actually a need for some advice at that very young age. And that's really the reason we would be involved is to sort of, you know, help guide that family down their proper path.
0: What do you think is too young? What, what age do you think is too young? We're talking about junior hockey players that you're going to be representing. You know, is is 12 years old? Is that too early to start dropping around? Or, or what's what's the age that you're you are comfortable with approaching a family and saying, hey, "My name's Manny. I'd like to be interested in representing you."
3: Yeah, I for me, uh, I think that that bantam um, age category. Unless like Jerry just said, you have clients that have siblings, right, and then you support them, but really, the focus there is more on developmental on you know support versus strategic, so to speak, right, so you know, I think that in hockey, at that bantam age, especially here in western Canada and the w h l where the kids are getting drafted at fourteen fifteen, a little different out in Ontario, where they're a year older still then, but here those parents you know, first-year Bantam need to start making some decisions, need to start thinking about um, how are we going to answer certain questions. And the way we answer certain questions may dictate the, the level of interest that some teams may or may not have. And so providing some of that advice I think is is critical at that 13-14. Prior to that, I really do think I encourage parents and families. It, it really is about development. I mean, if you don't develop, there's really no need for, <laughs> for Jerry or I, right? It's, right. It's... It's up to the players uh, to get to a point that allows us to do what we do. Um, so if we can support that process as we go along, then that's, that's fantastic. And then at that 13-, 14-year age group, that banned time frame, um, makes sense to start talking about some basic strategic fundamentals that they would need to prepare themselves for.
1: Manny, does uh, Link Management uh, service guys based out west only, or do you have uh, clients across the country, or in the states, or or worldwide?
3: We our core focus would be um, Western Canada. Um, I would say ninety five percent. We have uh, we have one Russian player that was over here that um, we work with, um, but uh, outside, I mean, our the way my the the service model of Link Management is is that it's very hands on and and um, very developmental and so we want we keep a pretty close tie on the guys in our in this back area what about uh you know during the season
0: uh jerry how much how much contact do you have with your player um that player's coach or gm and and the parents is it is it constant do you have less contact with with one of those three are you
2: talking to you like you know how does that work during the season well i think it depends on the Family, you know, mm. I think that I have a sort of a saying I tell my families that if I never talk to your, co- well, if I, I'm, my goal is to never talk to your coach, first of all. Um, <laughs> secondly, if I never talk to your GM, that's probably a good thing too. It means that the player's prepared, he can handle his own problems, he's dealing with his situation in-house, which is really the goal. I mean, teams have their own pressures. They're trying to win, coaches are under pressure, GMs are under pressure. And I think what, you know, we're trying to teach our young guys is that they have to learn how to deal with their own issues with our help so you know we we take you know it's a pretty it's a you know whether we talk to some of our young guys are pretty quiet so we have a a, you know I think with all of our young players we're talking to the parents probably Manny would agree we're probably 95 percent at one point talking to the parents and within a couple of years it's probably flip flopped probably after the draft um you know and and shortly thereafter the NHL draft we're probably talking 95 percent to our clients Because they're growing into young men. I mean, they're 14 years old. They're making the decisions now. They're 19 and they've got questions and they're kind of dealing with their own stuff. And you're looking to, you know, to work with these really strong, independent guys. I mean, that's what you got to be to play in the National Hockey League.
0: Is that an awkward conversation, though, when you have to talk to a player's GM and you have probably had to do that before? and, And is that, you know, you know most of the
2: GMs from being in the business. You know, does that get easier over time? Oh, yeah, it gets easy. I mean, I mean... I think one of the keys to being a good agent is, you know, understanding what the other side is going through. Okay. So it's really about your club, whether you're negotiating a contract or whether you're, you know, helping develop these young players. And really, I think Manny would agree. We're, we're sort of partners with the teams at the junior level and college level. Our goals are the same. You know, we're not, there's really nothing for us to negotiate per se, it's really about helping this young man develop. Mm-hmm. So, if we're doing our job correctly, we're communicating with the club, and I would say ninety-nine percent of the time, the clubs see us as uh, an asset for them because we are—we help them communicate with the player, we help them communicate with the family because it's a learning curve for these kids and their families. A lot of them have never done it before, or their dads played hockey in a different era, and it was just different. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, one thing when I was a kid. There was no information. I mean, if your neighbor down the block knew one thing about hockey, he was your de facto agent. Right. Yeah. You know, now the problem is there's too much information. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if one of these poor dads gets online, look out, you oh, know, man. he's reading things. And so, you know, our job really is to help, you know, these young families understand the process right. and, and, you know, engage the team as a partner in that process.
1: Jerry Johansson uh, from the Sports Corporation and Manny Schmidt from Link Management International are our guests here in studio on the Pipeline Show. Uh, we are taking your questions. We have uh, one for you, Jerry, uh, that we'll get to when we come back. Uh, I'm guessing it's a, a client, uh player that you work with uh, oh. who's already... We always like to get these kind of texts and stuff. It's a little bit fun. We'll get to that when we come back, though. If you have any questions for us, hit us up in the Marks and Home inbox. Uh, you're listening to the Pipeline Show. This is TSN 1260.
3: Hey, it's Brennan Leipzig from the Portland Warhawks. Hi, this is Kyle Beach. Hey, it's Greg Chase of the Calgary Hitman. Hey, it's Brad Roth. This is Henrik Sanderson of the Edmonton Oil Team. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. And you're listening to the Pipeline Show. You know, on the day I was born, the nurses all gathered round. And
0: You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Dean Millard and Guy Flaming on Edmonton Sports Leader, TSN 1260.
2: Final
1: concert for Motley Crue coming up, eh? You going to that, Dino? Were you a Motley Crue guy? I know I, you're an Iron Maiden
0: uh, guy. I wasn't a Crue guy, actually, so I will not be attending that, unfortunately. Manny looks like a cr- Motley Crue guy.
3: <laughs> no, I'm not actually a Motley Crue guy either, Are you country? No, actually, we're just pop and... So you were at Katy Perry then yesterday? No, I was not, actually. <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> wow. All right. Okay, we're going to start this segment off uh, with this uh, hard-hitting question for uh, Jerry, um, which we've received basically two identical questions from two different phone numbers. Um, so this must be a must-ask question for Jerry Johansson of uh, of the Sports Corporation, who joins us, as well as Manny Schmidt from Link Management, um, who... Uh, We'll be with us for another hour here in studio on the Pipeline Show. Okay, the question is, Jerry, basically. Jerry, if you had a player who had a mental block, for example, if they were golfing at their home course and always put their drive in the bushes on number one, how would you help them get through that? And I have to assume this is, you
2: know who this question is coming from. Well, it could be with anybody because I hit it in the bush every single time. So I figured I'd get some abuse being on here but I have no advice on that front I stick to hockey just a very narrow very narrow expert so this is you putting it into the bushes on number one I every think time. that's what the, what the point of that question is I think that's a little <laughs> bit of a jab at me it's funny because we did get that question
1: from two different phone numbers and then we also got asked Jerry the average sand he and his partner need to
2: get through a round of golf so <laughs> yeah golf then thank God I'm not you know cashing checks trying to cash <laughs> checks playing golf that would be That'd be a tough, tough life.
1: All right, well, let's get back to uh, what we wanted to talk about. And, you know, was there another one you want to address uh, before we get to the NCAA-CHL stuff?
0: Um, Well, it it has to do with a little bit of an NCAA thing, and maybe this will be a good lead-in. But uh, you guys see this all the time. Do you think the NCAA will ever change its policy? And, Manny, we'll start with you on allowing chl guys do you you think that's ever going to change so chl players can play in the chl and then go down and play college hockey and and as a follow-up to that you know do you think that will help or hurt if they allowed that
3: well uh, for me i i would say let me go to the back end i i don't think it would hurt i think i think that um there would be some benefit i think it's it's tough it's it's hard for families to make make decisions as early as they do in many cases where they uh um they just don't have all the information they don't have all the and and there's some great hockey down there, and so they're they're getting forced to pigeonhole themselves into a stream without having all the information Now, that's where where we try to assist you know and as Jerry and i and um, some of the advisors try to assist in providing that information, but I, I think expanding that and creating that opportunity, I think that would be a, there would be some benefit to it. Um, to the first part of your question, would that ever would that ever happen? Well, I'm never a believer in saying never. Um, it I just for the first time now with all the different sanctions and everything else coming out of the NCAA and and things that are happening, you're starting to get. Uh, to, to hear more and more about some of the changes that may be coming down the road. Now, is that short term? I don't think so. I think there's, I mean, that's a huge bureaucratic system. That's a machine that runs down there. And um, so to change a machine takes a lot of scientists. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it, so that's going to take some time. Um, but I, I don't, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't say that that would never happen.
1: I want to ask about verbal commitments uh, that the college players uh, give the schools. They don't seem to, obviously the CHL doesn't care about the, the NCAA verbal commitment, and on paper it doesn't seem to m- matter or mean a whole lot, although there is some thought or some people down south who would like to see it become a legal bonding or binding excuse me, uh, document. Do you think that ever flies, Jerry, that you'd have a letter of intent that if you signed a letter of
2: intent, you're definitely going the college route? Well, that would be interesting because I know one thing. You know, you hear a lot that you know scholarships are guaranteed and they're really not. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're one-year scholarships uh, that are renewable. You know, I've heard of players that you know were called in by their coach after their first year and said, you know, you're still we're still going to honor your scholarship, but you're off the team. So you know, it's it's not quite you know it's they're running a business like everybody else. Like every coach I know is trying to win, and every athletic director or every GM is trying to win. Mm -hmm. And that's not changing. So I think anytime you're in a competitive environment, it brings out the best in people and it also brings out the worst in people. So I think you're gonna have commitments that stick and commitments that don't. And I'm not sure, you know, what you can do about that except internally obviously, you know, force teams if they make commitments to to follow through on them. But, you know, it's uh I wouldn't cross my fingers on that.
1: You you personally have clients in the WHL and the NCAA, though, right? Oh yeah, you're, lots of NCAAs. So you're not biased to one route or the other. It's mm. you view
2: it as a personal choice. One is absolutely, yeah. There's and there's plenty of reasons, and as Manny will tell you too, there are plenty of reasons that go into it. Um, you know, opportunity in the moment. Like mm. some of our best college players didn't necessarily uh, have the opportunity that you know to play in the Western Hockey League. Um, you know, uh, just later developers. Uh, you know, some families are more geared towards the NCAA education um, and so many of our guys are geared towards the Western Hockey League in the, in the west. So yeah, we just they, we're there to guide them. I think family advisor is really what we are. It's a more it's a more descriptive term. We use agent, but I'm not sure what agent means. Hmm. I mean, really for whether they're players in the Western Hockey League or whether they're going to college, we really are family advisors.
0: Well, Manny, what what sort of things um, you know, there there are certain things you can do With a client that's playing in the CHL as his agent that you can't do with a client that's playing NCAA as his or or a client that's playing Junior A who wants to keep his uh, eligibility open as an advisor. What are some of the major differences uh, that, you know, when you have a client in the CHL as a client who's trying to keep his NCAA options open?
3: Well, I think there's there's some that are dictated directly by the NCAA, where you know, even guys going to camps, et cetera, if they're, going, if they're going to the NCAA route, there are certain parameters that they have to stay within to ensure that they retain their eligibility. They should only be going for 48 hours to, if they go to a camp, go for 48 hours. If they stay beyond that, they have to stay on their own dime, et cetera. So, I mean, there's some of those parameters that we need to be aware of and help advise, Um, but some of the other side of it is that in supporting ensuring that there are no direct perceived and or tangible benefits provided to the player and or family that a as the NCAA would put it that another student wouldn't have access to um, themselves and so ensuring that you know they're they're paying for equipment. They're getting you know everything that is coming is there's documentation that supports and tracks and trails. And you have to make sure you have all that for yeah. that player. But more more importantly, that they have that right. Right. If there's anything that happens, that they got to have that documentation because in most most cases, the NCAA is not coming to talk to us. They're coming to talk to the families. They're going to deal with the families if there are any discrepancy in our job. Again, as family advisors, is to support that family to ensure that they have the right information, that they present themselves in the right manner to protect whatever path that they're going down.
1: Uh, the term family advisor, uh, I mean, it has the word advisor right in it. Have you ever had a client where he, who was wanted to go either the WHL route or the NCAA route, and you in your head kind of thought the other was the better fit for the player? Have you ever advised somebody who was going one way to say, you know what, you might be better
3: off going the other way? Yeah, absolutely. Um, see, the one thing, and again, not being skewed one way or the other for, you know, major junior or going NCAA, but there's two two things that really come quickly to mind on this. One is, as the kids, when they have to make those decisions at a really young age, um, and the families, more importantly, have to make that decision at a really young age, the families here have a frame of reference of Rexall Place, the Saddle Dome, the, the big arenas and the clubs that come through. That's what they see, and that's what their frame of reference is, and so they go. I often say, if I could take you down in Notre Dame or North right. Dakota or one of those schools and walk you into the Coliseum there or the, the arena there or the fitness training facility there, I mean, your mouths would well hit the floor, but you don't have that frame of reference. So that's something where we have to educate. Um, but the, on the flip side of that, there's a lot of players... Who go? I want to go NCAA, and and they're going to get that route. But there's no guarantee on the NCAA side as well, right? So they say, well, you can get four years of education or full scholarship, and here you can't. Well, no, like I mean, I know specifically a player that deferred, um, going, made, got, got drafted, and was going to go. You know, got offered to go major junior, and said, no, no, I'm going to go because I'm going to get a scholarship here. Well, now he's currently playing his 20 year old year, still doesn't have a scholarship, no guarantee to scholarship. And he could come out of playing his junior A hockey with nothing, no education. Whereas at least if he would have went major junior, he would have some education. So you've got to be aware. There's no guarantee going one side mm-hmm. that you're getting a scholarship, and there's no guarantee going the other way that it's going to take you pro. Well,
0: and, and this is an interesting question uh, that came in from one of our listeners to the and Home Inbox. Uh, what happens to a CHL or NCAA player's scholarship if he gets hurt, say, one year in and can't play hockey anymore. Um, you know, maybe for for both for both guys can answer this. Uh, let's let's go on the NCAA side. Uh, your, your your client goes down there and gets his is given a scholarship and gets hurt. Do they do the schools most of the time honor that scholarship in school or uh, even though he can't play? Because listen, we we've known and we've talked to players before about this, where they the schooling is
2: still paid for, but they can't play hockey anymore. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, technically, I'm not sure what the exact right answer is. I would expect that most teams, if a player was injured, would honor this scholarship that they've given him. But I can't tell you for sure that they're... um, There's a hard and fast rule. Yeah, I'm not sure. Now, they may have uh, some elbow room with their scholarship program if they have a player on like a long-term injury where they get another scholarship. Mm-hmm. And the school can kind of help out, mm-hmm. but I unfortunately, I've never been in that scenario. But I mean, most teams, I think, in the NCAA would take that opportunity to do the right thing, um, and in obviously in the Western Hockey League too, which you know their scholarship program has gotten better and better and better and better. And um, you know, it's it a, a lot of the scholarships in the Western Hockey League are guaranteed if you get injured, a career-ending injury while playing with the club, so there is some protection in the Western Hockey League as well.
1: Well, lots of uh, great stuff in that segment. We've got one more segment with the guys. We could probably have three more segments uh, with uh, with uh, our, our guests tonight who uh, are Manny Schmidt from uh, Link Management uh, International and Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation. Uh, we do have one more segment. So if you have a question, you need to get it into us ASAP. 101260 is a text. Uh, and uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at TPS underscore
0: Guy or at Duck Millard. And that, of course, the Marks and Home Inbox. Imagine yourself in a & home. Experience the difference. Nine communities in Edmonton to find them in their beautiful show homes. Visit online marksonhomes.com.
1: Maybe when we come back, we'll get into the Bantam draft and the import draft and maybe a proposed players' union for the CHL as well. That's coming up next here on the Pipeline Show as In Studio continues. You're listening to TSN 1260. Mm-hmm.
0: Hi, right, Jonathan Durant from the Halifax Institute. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Dean Millard and Guy Flaming on Edmonton Sports Leader, TSN 1260.
1: One more segment with our in-studio guests. We're pleased to be joined by Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation and Manny Schmidt of Link Management International. And you're with Flaming and Millard here on The Pipeline Show. All right, let's get right to it. Uh, I'm going to start it with the import draft. And we hear about it so much from the outside. And from the media side, about how corrupt the import draft is in the CHL, and it's a, it's not really a draft of drafting the best players. It's deals the agents make with players overseas. Is there any anything to that, uh, Jerry? Let's start with you.
2: Well, we we've brought over uh, probably hundreds of players uh, over the last twenty years from the Czech Republic and Slovakia, and you know it's changed a lot. I mean, uh, part of the problem is you know when you're when we're bringing in the old days, we're bringing a player over. As their family advisor, let's say, mm-hmm. um, you know, we sort of have a responsibility to make sure they're in the best spot that we can get them in. And so, you know, it, it, and again, this would be f- 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, you want to sort of put your player in a place where you have a good relationship and where you have. It's never really been about money in the West. and I think in the East, it's a little different. Um, you know, so you are it's more just about you making sure that your player who's a long way away from home. I mean, we talk about sending your kid to play junior hockey from Western Canada, but try Mm -hmm. leaving home in Slovakia, you know, but they have tightened up the rules a lot. Like you can't trade your pick and there's a lot of things now that, um, you know, prevent teams from, you know, playing cute with the rules, so to speak. So the teams really are in the driver's seat about who they take, frankly. And, you know, I'm not sure that's the best idea, but it's the way they have it. Do players from Europe or from the States,
1: receive any kind of financial incentive or material incentive to commit to, to playing in Canada in the CHL? And you mentioned maybe further out east,
2: but does it occur? I, well, in the West, I mean, I've tried to get teams to do it, and they won't, so I'm kind of half-teasing. They, they've really... <laughs> <laughs> Thought we had a scoop yeah, there. <laughs> there you go. No, they've done a really good job. And, and it's actually, it, it, they've done a really good job in the Western Hockey League about keeping a balanced playing field for the clubs, so, there really has been, and we've brought over high profile guys and, mm-hmm. and we've never had a situation like that, so they've done a good job, but in the East and Quebec and you know and we've had players that you know yeah they'll pay and they'll there's some you know some trades and different things that happen they're starting to tighten up on that as well, um and frankly, I actually prefer it the way they run it in the West because at least you're dealing with you know a hockey situation and it's not being clouded by a little bit of money or or some other thing
0: when Europeans first started coming over there was it Basically, you know, money talks
2: to get this player out of whatever country they were in. Well, I'll tell you something, too, you know, in terms of a lot of these clubs lose their player for nothing. So these club teams have spent years developing this player. Mm -hmm. The player leaves and that club receives no compensation at all. So it's actually a little bit of a raw deal for the clubs back home. So Yeah, they just what, get the transfer fee, right? Yeah, which at the end of the day is about five hundred bucks. Yeah. It's like nothing. So I feel bad. Like my agent in Slovakia, who's a great guy who spends a lot of time with these club teams and you know, they're developing these players and investing in these players. And as soon as that player is, you know, starting to hit his stride, he leaves for all the right reasons. But there is no benefit to that home club that needs the money and could use the support and they're not allowed to get it. So, you know, in the old days, yeah, there was money. And a lot of times that money went back to that home team that they could turn around and reinvest in some other young Slovak or Czech player.
0: Bantam draft. Um, Manny it's, it's, you know, I've talked to some GMs that say, you know, when a kid tells them, I'm not playing for you, they're going to draft him anyway this has been something that you know we we've seen it we've heard about it where kids say i don't want i'm not going to play for you i'm not going to play for you and i'm not going to play for you but i'll play for you how do how do we you know d- does that happen as much anymore are teams getting smarter and saying listen you can say all you want but i'm going to take you and if you want to play in this league you're going to play for this team what do you think of the the bantam draft and the the manipulation that we used to see a lot of I don't think we're seeing it as much because I think teams are standing their ground a little bit more. But your thoughts on the band
3: draft? Yeah, I, I would agree with you, um, you know, that the, the the teams, I think, are standing their ground. Um, I don't think you see it um, as frequently. Do you still see it or do you still have? I mean, it, honestly, it's probably one of the questions that I get asked from a prospective family is how do we deal with that and, You know, they've, you know, Jerry mentioned it earlier, the the information age, they know everything about, I mean, by the time we've talked to them, they have read through everything and every blog on every team. And, I mean, they come with so much information, it's almost the first thing you got to do is put a big filter out in front of them and say, okay, let's just filter this and get rid of it. We don't, because it just, it's information overload, which skews where they're at. So you know they they'll look and say well i don't really want to go here well why don't you what you know and then in many cases we will have worked with with teams where we can contradict that and say you know what actually they are really solid they do develop their players um what i would say to the other side of that though is there is some onus on the on on the teams to ensure that they are developing their players they're creating an environment of developing of development support for the players and families and most, mostly for the players um that i mean it's like any business you go to places that you're comfortable mm-hmm. right i mean you you like your starbucks you're going to get your starbucks right and it's and then you've got you got something against whatever other brand we Tim's. are a Tim Hortons show. Well, okay, there you go. Well, there you Tim Hortons it is. <laughs> so you should have probably known that seeing the Tim Hortons cups on the, on the table. All right. And this segment will end soon.
1: Uh, All right, but I guess the, the, the basic, the bottom line is um, there might be some lying from player and family to certain teams, or maybe not lying, but dishonesty about which direction the player is going because they don't want to be drafted by that team. And what you're saying is that might not necessarily be a bad thing or a wrong thing or a, uh, uh, not immoral, but I'm not yeah. sure what the word is I'm
2: looking yeah, for. and
3: I, I certainly wouldn't say, you know, and you corrected there too, but it's it, they're not lying to them. Um, I And I know that there were I – mean, we had one instance where we had a family that said, absolutely no, we're not going to, to a team. and And so – we had a candid conversation with the team and said, This is what you know I'm being told and how do we wanna deal with it? And um, you know, at the end of the day the player didn't get drafted there anyway, but um for me it is still about development. I mean they have gotta have a system that shows continuous development for those players that you know, that they're they're grooming them, they're growing them. Their job is to try to create better people and hockey players that can potentially get to the next level. And if you're doing that right, then players are going to want to come mm-hmm. come to your organization.
0: I asked you earlier, Jerry, about an awkward conversation when you have to talk to a player's GM about whether it's his playing time or he wants a trade. But that has to be an awkward conversation when you have to say to a team, you know, Johnny Football here, or I shouldn't say Johnny Football because that's actually a nickname of a player. Johnny Hockey doesn't want to play for Team X. Sorry, he doesn't want to. Uh, or is that just part of... You know, being a big boy agent and the stuff that you have to do to represent
2: your player, is that, is that to become an awkward situation? Yeah, I mean, I would go back to I almost never talk to a team about a player's ice time. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, sometimes families have legitimate reasons they don't want to go somewhere. And a good GM wants to know that because, trust me, there's lots of good players out there. Mm-hmm. And good players, the best player doesn't get drafted one and the second best player doesn't get drafted number two and the third best player doesn't get drafted number three just go back and look at all the old drafts. The best player could very well be number 14. Well, yeah, or number sure. 68. So if I'm a junior club, if it, if for whatever reason a player isn't crazy about playing for me, I would be like, no problem, I'll draft somebody else. And so mm-hmm. I think you know that information whether it's regardless of why it's out there, I think that's information that teams need to know. Now, again, like Manny said, we're pretty tough on our players about why they don't want to go somewhere, but sometimes uh, you know, Families have legitimate reasons why they may not want to send their son, their sixteen, fifteen, or sixteen-year-old son, halfway across, you know, the country. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, that's or the to case. another country, or to another country, in, for in the reason. Western Hockey League situation, yeah. absolutely, it's yeah. their kid. You know these. You know, so at the end of the day, I mean, the good GMs I've talked to, when there's been the few times where there's a legitimate concern, they actually appreciate the heads up because they don't have a list of one guy they're looking to draft. They have and I a list guess they don't five. want a waste to waste a pick too. Absolutely,
1: Union. All right. Uh, The proposed CHLPA from a couple of years ago uh, blew up uh, upon itself. I remember talking to agents back then who didn't really seem high on the idea. And I don't know, from my perspective, it almost sounded to me like the proposed union wanted to handle things that I thought was the job of an agent. And I guess I should get your perspective on, uh, because that topic has come up again here in the last couple of months. Uh, Jerry, start with you. Your thoughts on on a proposed union for CHL players... Is there a need?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, you make a good point. The union could never do what we do for players. I mean, the NHLPA is one of the most organized professional groups of people I've ever seen. These guys are sharp, and they don't pretend to think that they can, you know, deal with individual players. I mean, that's really what our role is. Um in terms of this union that you hear about, I mean, I it was just a disaster for a couple of years. I mean, it was a little embarrassing, like, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I just read what everybody else read. So, I mean, you know, I think the teams do a really good job. I think that they're, you know, I mean, I've watched them over 20 years. I mean, they really have moved the ball forward in terms of their education contracts, in terms of the professional, uh, the the quality of their coaching, in terms of, you know, um, just how their operations are run. So, uh, you know, I guess i am maybe just been in this for so long, I, I see it moving forward at a nice pace. So I'm not really sure what a union is going to bring to the table. And and again, if they are, they better be professional, they better be organized, and I'm not so sure from what I've heard that they're any of that. Manny, your thoughts on
3: it? Yeah, that's very well summed up. I, I, the, the support, the need for the union to, the at the next level merits, has a great deal of merit. I mean, there, there's so much that the union does and in the, in the infrastructure of the union at the NHLPA level um, for... Current athletes, for post-career athletes, for the whole gamut. I think there's just so much merit. But if I look at those elements that that the NHLPA do, you know, does at that level, what those aren't necessarily applicable at a junior level. And so the big the question that arises is what what would and what would a union do at at the um, at the junior level at that mm-hmm. the level below that, and and, and that's the big. You know, elephant in the room. That, that question's not it hasn't really been answered, and I think Jerry mentioned stated best is the union couldn't do what we do on a player by player basis. That's why individually, no, yeah, it's yeah. it just that's why we specialize, and you know, we invest our time, our energy, our resources into relational development with our players, and that's that's certainly not our role of a union. Um, so. On the other side of that, they—I mean—they've got some some things to overcome as well. I mean, two, a couple of years ago, the way that went, um, it it left a sour taste in almost everybody's uh, everybody's mouth. Who was it, who was associated or, or that touched players, teams, agents, you name it—they were all. So I think that there's something to overcome there. Um, but and the last thing I, I would say on that is, if you look at where the teams have gone, whether it's in the OHL, whether it's in the WHL they are moving things forward and they do have the best interests of the teams uh, of the players in mind. And they're trying to increase their educational program. They're trying to increase how they're billeted and their, their, you know, education during while they're there and their support. And so they, they have moved it forward dramatically. And I know that those discussions are ongoing every single day in terms of how can we better support the players that we're working with. And so, What could be added by unionizing um, kids at this level? I'm not overly sure.
1: Great stuff, fellas. Really appreciate uh, the last hour that you've given us, and uh, there's stuff we didn't even have time for, so we're going to book you now for this time next year, (laughs) if uh, if that's all right. (laughs) Have you guys back, uh, because that was terrific. Uh, Guys, thanks for coming in. Always great to be with you. Appreciate it. Uh, that was uh, Jerry Johansson from the Sports Corporation and Manny Schmidt of uh, Link Management International. I'm sure if uh, you're a player out there and uh, need representation, I'm sure uh, both of these gentlemen would love to talk to you. Maybe they'll fight over you. Yeah. Uh, so. That's what we'll do next year. <laughs> we
0: we'll got get a bunch of prospects yeah. and we'll get a cage. Cage match. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, do you know what's coming up on the golf show
0: tomorrow? Uh, we're going to uh, recap the uh, Ryder Cup preview picks and uh, have another great golf course to preview. Awesome. Uh, Taylor and I
1: will be back on
0: Saturday. Struts is up next. See
1: you later. See ya.